Well, good morning. Uh, as always, a, a joy to be together in, in worship this day. If you've been with us the, the past few weeks, uh, you may remember that for our summer sermon series, uh, we are, are teaching through the book of Romans. Um, Paul's letter to, to the Romans, to, to the church in Rome. And, and one of the things that you've maybe noticed about this book, if, you, if you've been with us at all, is it sounds very Lutheran, which is probably a good thing, right? We would hope that it sounds Lutheran. Uh, perhaps maybe a better way of, of putting it is, is Lutheranism sounds a lot like the book of Romans. Uh, that the way Lutherans talk often is very reflective of the way uh, we hear Paul speaking and writing in the book of Romans, which should be what we expect. Uh, one of the cornerstones of, of the Reformation and, and Reformation theology is that all of our theology, all of our doctrine and teaching in the church should be found and taught in Scripture. That, that the words of Scripture, the Word of God here is normative for everything that we teach in the church. So it shouldn't surprise us. In fact, it should be a, a good sign when we think, oh, hey, that sounds like what I read in my catechism. And one of the cornerstones for, for what all of Scripture teaches uh, is what we find in, in the clear words and instruction in this letter that Paul writes to the Christians living in Rome. And, and one, of the, one of the centerpieces of, of this entire book and, and centerpieces of all of Scripture is what we talked about last week from Romans chapter 3, and Paul covers it more in depth in, in Romans chapter 4 and 5, is this truth that our righteousness, our right standing before God, does not come through obedience to the law. It does not come by good works, as all Lutherans know, but rather it comes solely through faith in Jesus Christ. That is this righteousness that has been revealed apart from the law. That is the, the centerpiece of, of the gospel message is that you and I are declared righteous on account of Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and seeking our righteousness in anything but him is simply a wasted effort. It will never be enough. We will never be able to accomplish it. And, and it's that central piece of Paul's theology that is behind this rhetorical question that he opens up chapter 6 with. He asks this question. He says, what shall we say then? In light of this truth, what shall we say then? Are we then to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Right, Paul's question here is, if we are declared righteous on account of Jesus alone, through his perfect work, does that mean then we are just free to sin as much as we want? Does the gospel simply mean freedom to, to live however we please? And, and the reason that Paul asks this question is because some have answered it in the affirmative. In, in the early church, one of the original heresies that the church encountered was this heresy called Gnosticism. That, this teaching that there is this strong divide and separation between the material world and the spiritual world. And the material world is bad. It is the result of sin. Therefore, the goal is to escape it, to go and, and enter into solely the spiritual world and the spiritual realm where, where the good is. 
And the way that we escape it is through this secret knowledge that has been brought to us by Jesus. And because the material world is bad and our physical bodies are essentially meaningless in the view of the Gnostics, what we do with our bodies, what we do in this life, is ultimately meaningless. So long as we have the secret knowledge. Therefore, go ahead. Live however you want. More recently, one of the false teachings that the church encounters from time to time is called antinomianism, or being against the law. And this teaching simply says that Christ has put an end to the law once and for all. We have no use for it anymore. Therefore, since the law counts for nothing now, you are free to live as you please. That freedom in Christ does mean freedom to live however you want. And the fact of the matter is you and I have probably answered an affirmative to Paul's question here as well. Anytime we've maybe said to ourselves, you know, I I know I really probably shouldn't do this. Or I know this action isn't God-pleasing. But I know that he's going to forgive me anyway, so whatever. When we think this way, we are giving a resounding yes to Paul's question. Should Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? The temptation is to say, yes, absolutely, why not? But notice that Paul doesn't answer this question in the affirmative. He says this, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul's answer is not sure, go for it, live how you want. No, his answer is a resounding, heck no, absolutely not. Because when you came to faith, when you were baptized, you were not simply given fire insurance. You you did not just receive a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, Paul says that when you were baptized, when you were brought to faith, something actually happened to you. That a real, genuine change occurred. I have a professor from seminary who, who put it like this. He said that in baptism, we get what we deserve. Because in baptism, we get death. But, because the death that we get is Christ's righteous death, we also receive his righteous life. The whole reason that we were baptized was not so that we could just come out the other side and continue living in sin, but rather so that we would walk in newness of life with him, Paul says. And certainly this newness of life is a future promise, right? The fullness of this 
walking in newness of life, what we realize on the last day when we are raised from the dead to live with Christ eternally. But Paul is very clear here that this newness of life is a present reality. It is something that begins right now. When you were baptized, you died with Jesus. Therefore, we are called to live and walk with Jesus. You know, I remember uh, when I was a high school student, I believe I was 17, um, I got in a a, a pretty bad car accident uh, that was my fault. Um, I was uh, kind of in a hurry to get get home from work uh, in the summer. And, uh, and I ended up pulling out in front of a car on, on a busy, busy intersection. And uh, this car hit me uh, just right behind my driver's side door, like the, the, the rear passenger's or driver's side of the car. And I remember sitting at the, the scene of, an, of the accident, and, and one of the, the police officers, he, he came up to me. He said, he said, you know, young man, you're, you're very lucky to, to be alive. And that truth, that, that statement really resonated with me, that, that I was lucky, I, I was blessed to be alive. And, and I remember going home and, and sitting on my bedroom floor and, and praying and, and thanking God for, for protecting me, for, for preserving my life that day. And, and I remember making this, this resolute commitment to live differently. Uh, to live not out of selfishness and, and self-interest, but to live with a sense of, of gratitude and, and thanksgiving for every breath I had. I, I remember that, that I wanted to cast aside foolishness. I, I wanted to, to certainly drive more carefully and, and make better decisions with the direction of my life. And I have to say that it worked for like a month. <laughs> For the month following that accident, I remember I, I, I was the best driver on the planet. I, I looked both ways multiple times at every intersection. I followed the speed limit to a T. And, and I do believe that, that I actually was able to live with a greater sense of, of gratitude, with thanksgiving, uh, to operate with, with a little bit less selfishness than I typically do. But the fact of the matter is, is, is over time, the memory of that accident, it started to fade. Uh, it, it started to feel less urgent, less drastic. So over time, my, my foot got a little bit heavier on the gas pedal. And some of that gratitude and, and thanksgiving for my life slowly but surely was, was replaced with that same immature selfishness and self-interest and, and just, I forgot. You know, I think a lot of times one of the reasons we struggle with living the way that Christ calls us to live is because we simply forget. We, we suffer from, from amnesia. We forget who we are. We forget what happened to us when we were baptized. And so it's no surprise then that Paul's call to the church in Rome and and the call to us is this constant call to remember. To remember what Christ has done. To remember how you've been made a part of that. Listen to what he says in in verse 6. He says, we know, 
In other words, we don't forget, we remember, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. I believe that Paul's call here is for us to remember two things. One cosmic, one universal, and the other personal. It is first a call to remember what Christ has done. And to also remember how you have been made a part of that in your baptism. It is a call here to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. That atoning, perfect sacrifice for all sin. That every wrong you've ever done, every wrong you ever will do has been paid for on the cross of Jesus. And he has risen victorious over death. And in baptism, you have been made a part of that. You have received the fruits of what he has done. And so our constant call as we live and follow Jesus is to remember that. Remember that you died with Jesus. Remember that you have been raised with Jesus. Remember that he's coming again and you are going to live with Jesus for all eternity. One of my favorite Lutheran theologians, a man by the name of of Martin Franzman, who who writes a phenomenal commentary on the book of Romans, he, he puts it like this. He summarizes these words saying, The reality of Christ's death and resurrection determines our whole existence. The controlling reality for our life is now the fact that we shall live. Our present life gets its character, direction, and purpose from the fact that we shall live with him who lives a life beyond death, a life lived wholly to God now that he has died an atoning death once for all to sin. Christ's death and resurrection, it has changed your standing before God. That's what we talked about last week. It has changed you from unrighteous to righteous. But it's also changed who you are. The reality of Christ's death and resurrection now determines your entire existence. And because his death and resurrection determines your existence, determines who you are, shapes your identity... Don't just go back to the way that things were anymore. It's in verse 12 that that Paul gives us this imperative. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You have been brought from death to life. So live as one who has been brought from death to life. That's who you are. Don't return to your sin. You've been set free from that. Don't don't return to death because you've been made alive with Jesus. Instead, present yourselves to God as instruments to be used for for his purposes, as an example of of his righteousness. 
That's the truth that we are called to live out each day. People who have been dead, people who were destined for eternal death, who have now been made alive in Jesus. And now to live each and every day as examples of that righteousness. And the truth of the matter is, is is you don't have to do this on your own. The gospel doesn't just make you a part of God's family and say it's up to you now. But the same grace that rescued you is the same grace that empowers you to live righteous each and every day. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. This is not a command. This is a promise. Paul does not say sin must have no dominion over you. He says sin will have no dominion over you. Sin does not rule over you anymore. Sin will no longer be your master because you live each and every day, not under the law, but under grace, under mercy. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that empowers you to live each and every day. There are times in life that that this may be experienced as as sort of just joyful obedience. Living righteously, living the way that God calls us to, and and living it with thanksgiving. There may be times where where you sense that, that you are miraculously set free from sin. But I think that you and I both know that, that that's not always the case, is it? But sometimes following Jesus, sometimes living the way that Christ has called us to live doesn't look so much like joyous obedience. It looks more like, like warfare. It looks more like, like going to battle it looks more like a fist fight and, and daily trying to drown that old sin that, that keeps rearing its head again and again and again. I, I remember when I was a, a vicar uh, in Denver, Colorado. And, and while I was a vicar, uh, I got to know a woman who was a member of the congregation uh, who formerly had, had lived for about a, over a decade uh, on the streets. She lived in, in chronic homelessness for, for a long time, and a lot of that was due to uh, an ongoing battle with alcoholism. And I remember, uh, hands down, the, the most joyous, uh, the, the happiest day, the most memorable day of that year was, was sitting in my favorite coffee shop with her, with someone who had become a friend, celebrating a year of sobriety. I also remember the most gut-wrenching heart-aching day of that year was getting a phone call from her after she had relapsed. She experienced both the the joy of obedience, but also the pain of fighting against sin. The the pain of, of fighting against old addictions and habits. And for you and I, it, it will be the same. You will experience in your life the joy of being set free from sin. But you will probably, no, you will certainly experience the pain and the anguish of losing to it. But know that that whether you're joyfully following or, or going to battle, one thing never changes. 
the promise that you have died and risen with Jesus never changes. And because you have died and risen with Jesus, you have the promise that as you fight against sin, as you seek to live for Christ, you don't live alone. No matter how hopeless things feel, you do not battle against sin alone. But the same one who died and rose again promises to be with you. He promises to fight for you. And he promises that you will live with him when he comes again. Amen?